Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Monday, July 13th here in New York City. Hope everyone is staying safe and doing well as the battle against the coronavirus rages on. Coming up today on the podcast is an interview I recorded earlier today with the head boys basketball coach at Long Island Lutheran, uh, Coach John Buck. Long Island Lutheran is a powerhouse high school basketball program in the tri-state area. They have produced dozens and dozens of Division I basketball players, and this past year, they were extraordinary, finished in the top 10 in the ESPN National uh, High School Basketball Rankings, and I could play against them in high school, have a lot of respect for their program, and Coach Buck, and so it was great talking hoops with him and, and learning more about him and his program. Before we get to that interview, uh, coming up on Recommendation Corner this week, uh, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. Sometimes at the end of the day, you just need something to, to kind of just turn your mind off and focus on something simpler and happier. The Great British Baking Show uh, is one of those shows that can definitely do that. Seasons are on Netflix. It's amateur British bakers who go on these this season-long competition, and it's just you know heartwarming to see because it's not professionals. It's not people who do this for a living. It's just amateur bakers who who love doing it and uh it's a weirdly addicting tv show so i highly highly recommend that if anyone's looking for anything on netflix to watch this month and going into the last bits end of summer here so without further ado i'm going to hit the music and when we come back is my interview from earlier today with the head boys basketball coach at long island lutheran coach john buck Joining me today on the Double Double is a special guest, the head boys basketball coach at Long Island Lutheran, John Buck. He played his college ball at Wake Forest, graduating in 2006, before getting into coaching shortly after. He has been at the helm of Long Island Lutheran, a powerhouse high school in the tri-state area, for 11 years. He has helped lead the Crusaders to two Class A New York Federation championships, as well as the Class AA championship in 2019. The 2019-2020 team was one of the best in school history as they finished 22-3 and and 8th in ESPN's National Top 25 High School Team Rankings. I'm thrilled he's taking the time to join me today. Coach, how's it going? David, wow, that's, uh, that's quite an intro. I appreciate it very much. It's great to be with you talking to folks. Right, so I, I'm really pumped about this, Coach. We I competed against your teams, I think, three times in high school. Never went our way. Uh, Long Lutheran is a, is a powerhouse in the New York City area. So I guess just getting right into it, Coach, where did you grow up and kind of how did you first get involved with uh, just basketball in general? Yeah, cool. So grew up in Long Island, uh, right in Westbury, New York. Um, went to one of Lehigh's kind of feeder schools, Trinity Lutheran in Hicksville. Really didn't play competitively on any type of team until um, my middle school years at, at Trinity. I'd done kind of travel soccer as a younger guy, and um, you know, once I hit seventh grade, I was probably getting to be about five ten. <laughs> so uh, it was kind of a no brainer at that point. And so kind of had always played in the driveway, but then started playing on my middle school teams and um, went after Trinity Lutheran to Lehigh in ninth grade. Um, 
you know, played on the uh, varsity B team my freshman year, and then varsity for my sophomore through senior years. Um, had some great teams, competed against some really good players. Um, you know, some of my federation games that Luhai had up in Glens Falls uh, were against Julius Hodge and Alan Ray from St. Ravens, mm-hmm. um, and then Andre Blatch, who uh, oh, yeah. competed in the NBA for a while. He was a freshman when I was a senior. So um, great years at Luhai. Joachim Noah from Poly. That mm-hmm. was a, a, a big time matchup that um, you know we enjoy and still talk about. And then went down from Wake. Uh, sorry, from Luhai. Uh, went down to Wake Forest, and I was a walk on for four years at Wake. Um, you know, got into the school academically, kind of did some homework in advance, and worked with the staff to kind of see if it was going to be a possibility. Um, Skip Prosser was the head coach at Wake Forest when I went down there and, uh, yeah, didn't give me a full promise, but said, you know, you think you have a good opportunity for this, went down, tried out and, um, yeah, had an incredible four years. The timing was really good. Josh Howard was a teammate of mine, my freshman year, um, you know, longtime player in the NBA with the Mm -hmm. Mavs, um, and then Chris Paul was um, a teammate of mine uh, for my sophomore and junior years. Wow. He led us to a couple NCAA tournaments, mm-hmm. and some, a number one ranking in the country at one point. <laughs> and um, then he declared for the draft. He, he, he skyrocketed so much faster than I think a lot of people thought. Right. So when he declared, we were kind of not as prepared maybe for that as we could have been. And we really dropped off my senior year. Um, I was voted co-captain with several of my teammates and that was kind of a trying year. We went from finishing first in the ACC to last. Oh, and, wow. um, yeah, I learned a lot about leadership and, and how to kind of navigate all sorts of scenarios that year, um, as, as one of our co-captains. And so I think that experience was just as valuable as, um, any of the winning that we did. For and, sure. Um, I'm thankful for, for, for it. So, um, and after, yeah. So I just want to go back to high school for a second. Obviously, you know, you're, you're playing in, in federation championships, you're playing against great players and with some great players at Luhai. just kind of what was your recruiting process like in high school and, and kind of how did you go about, you know, deciding to apply, uh, mm-hmm. to, to Wake Forest? Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of, uh, looking at that, you know, kind of high academic, D3 kind of space for playing uh, in college, had been recruited at that level. Um, you know, I was going to some camps, playing AAU, which is much different back then mm-hmm. as it is now. Um, and yeah, just really, you know, just after thinking about it a lot, had always been enamored by the ACC. Um, actually grew up a huge Duke uh, fan okay. um, as a younger kid. My family lived in Durham, so I would go visit them a lot and just, you know, Duke was everything down there so um kind of started thinking along that route of you know trying to get into a you know school and and take the walk-on approach and visited wake forest visited duke um and actually really fell in love with wake forest and the campus and you know what um i could envision myself um as doing as a student athlete there and you know thankfully things worked out was there any type of cultural adjustments, you know, for a kid from Long Island going down to United School in the South in in North Carolina? A little bit, um, but I think I had kind of a head start. My family mm-hmm. being from Durham, I kind of I visited North Carolina a lot, so um, I did have um, you know an understanding, a little bit of the culture, and actually liked it a lot. 
um, you know, people are oftentimes a little bit friendlier, and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, uh, the food, I enjoy some Southern food as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And wake, wake had a good diversity of, of kids from, you know, all over the country. So there's definitely some Northerners there as well, but, um, yeah, some adjustment, but it was not bad at all. So obviously, as you mentioned, one of your college teammates, Chris Paul, you know, multi-time all-star in the NBA, multiple gold medal winner. There's what was, you know, he comes onto campus as a freshman, you're a sophomore, just kind of what was your initial impressions of Chris Paul? Yeah. So, um, he was a senior in high school when I was a freshman at Wake and, you know, you kind of start hearing about him, um, you know, and we would go and he played not far by. So we would Mm -hmm. go and watch, um, a couple of his games and, you know, he is, no taller than six foot so um just kind of seeing him take over games at his size you know he's just so competitive so tenacious um you know and he's just obviously super skilled and really balanced on the floor um and has great vision and iq so yeah just seeing him kind of as a as a senior you could tell he was super special we were really excited about him i think with any team you know having that point guard position solid is such a game changer right and so then when he came to campus he was yeah still like a little kid in many ways and you know we kind of would he, he would be the 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 joke and sometimes with just kind of how he was reacting with like bright eyes to college and some things but he he grew up so fast you know his freshman year he had a 30 point game against cincinnati and uh-huh. kind of after that it was history right yeah for sure so kind of as, as the time is going on, you guys are getting more and more national acclaim. As you mentioned, you you, you uh, climb up all the way to number one in the national rankings. Just what was that like to be just on that ride with that program, with a blossoming star like Chris Paul? It was amazing. You know, I look back on it and, you know, you, you just, just like anything, right? Like when you're in the moment, you try to appreciate it, but mm-hmm. it's sometimes tough. But, you know, Wake Forest has had a tough go the past right. really decade um and just to think you know that i was blessed to be there when we were um made three ncaa tournaments and you know won an acc regular season championship with josh howard um going 13 and 3 in the league and then you know getting to number one espn had a show gosh it was called i forgot what it was called but it would follow teams around uh-huh. for like a couple weeks okay. the season i think they called it the season yeah and um yeah we were we were featured on that and i got to have like small little cameos on it you know just totally amazing um you know just kind of for me it all culminated that junior year when we were really top you know 10 throughout the whole year um you know i was able on uh senior night to get in as a walk-on which sometimes is tough but we were so good we get a lot of big leads yeah and so i got in that night was playing a ball screen at the top of the key the point guard declined it um and fumbled it and i kind of got a jump on it and got a breakaway dunk yep um which never really happens for walk <laughs> you know it took so much luck for it to happen and i'm so thankful for for a moment like that just right. it was a special time so was there like a moment during a practice or a game where where you're on the court either with josh howard or chris paul where you where you kind of noticed and, and kind of yourself like said to yourself hey this guy is different than the rest of us. No doubt. I mean, Josh was a senior when I was a freshman, so I came in right to his just prime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rarely do you see 
now, especially a senior that dominant. Right. Um, usually, you know, those NBA level guys are heading off earlier, but not only was he so talented, but his game was mature. His IQ was mature. Um, and yeah, just right away, stepping into practice from high school to seeing Josh Howard um, was an incredible uh, just experience playing in drills. Um, you know, I remember vividly a two on one fast break that he just dunked on me incredibly hard. <laughs> um, and yeah, his, his just his overall power to his game was at six seven was really just amazing. So you're in college, and you know, just for any listener who doesn't know, Wake Forest is an awesome school, uh, really good academics. I'm sure a lot of people in your you know, in your classes as a junior and senior, you know, everyone starts thinking about what they're going to do next. It's like everyone's favorite thing to ask you. I just went through this. It's like, what are you doing after graduation? How are you using your degree? And people start to freak out a bit. Uh, did you have any uh, ideas for a career during a time in college or were you kind of always just, you know, thinking about coaching? I hadn't really thought too deeply about uh, coaching. I, I majored in economics. Mm-hmm. Um, why uh enjoyed my intro class yeah it kind of just went from there right <laughs> same uh, yeah pretty similar to a lot of people um and you know i think uh there's a lot of obviously pressure to you know get moving and, and figure out what you're going to do right at 21 years old and i think that's hard for people and i certainly did not have a super clear vision um i did a post-grad after i graduated from week i went up to dartmouth for a summer to do okay. kind of a mini mba um intro to see if that's what i you know wanted to do um enjoyed it but still kind of felt pulled back to coaching in the game uh wasn't ready to kind of shut things down maybe it was the fact that that senior year left kind of like a little bit of an emptiness Mm -hmm. um after having so much success kind of ending on that i said i think maybe there's a piece of me that didn't want to and basketball in my life that way. Right. So um, I sat down with each of my coaches, assistant coaches at Wake were actually incredible in my time. Um, Chris Mack was an assistant mm-hmm. who's now the head coach at Louisville. Yep. Pat, Pat Kelsey, who's the head coach at Winthrop. Um, Jeff Battle is one of the lead assistants at Providence. And Dino Gaudio is um, with Coach Mack as an assistant at Louisville. So uh, just a really an incredible staff. And I, I sat down with um, uh, the coaches after I graduated and just kind of took some notes, asked some questions about what they thought um, about coaching both on and off the floor. And, um, yeah, at the time, I guess even subconsciously, I kind of had that in the back of my mind. I had a job for a year um, in uh, insurance um, and uh, financial planning, made sure it ended at three o'clock <laughs> and got in early so I could run over and try to help, uh, Lou High's program. I'd mm-hmm. asked, um, coach Brian Carey, who was our head coach at the time, if I could assist and he was gracious enough to let me do so. And yeah, just kind of jumped right in as an assistant because, uh, still had the itch. So as an, as an assistant coach on, on a high school staff, you know, you're right out of college. You're not that much older than the juniors and seniors, on on the team just how did you go about just dealing with the age gap or I guess lack thereof of a huge age gap between you and the and the players on the team you are now coaching sure yeah that's the learning experience you know like you can't just step in like you know like your coach k and (laughs) it doesn't work that way you know you have to kind of have emotional intelligence and kind of 
find that healthy line of like, you know, at, at 22 years old, 21, 22 years old, you're not going to, your role is going to have to be kind of the, the more, you know, you know, understand lean on the shoulder type guy. You're not going to come in and be a a screamer and a yeller and a demander um, and get any respect that way. Um, So, you know, was able to kind of just build some relationships, sit back, give advice, um, you know, relate, relate to the guys, you know, the best I could, Um, you know, every co every program, I believe needs at least one coach who's more of that lighthearted, you know, pick them up type guy. And so I think I tried to fill that, um, you know, when I jumped in as, as a younger coach. So before we get any farther, before we get into more uh, details and I'm pumped about with Luhai, can, can you kind of just briefly describe for any listener who might not know, kind of just where does Long Island Lutheran kind of fit in in the New York City basketball area, tri-state uh, area, basketball scene as a whole? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question because it's kind of a unique fit um you know long island lutheran best known as luhai so i'll just use luhai as we go through the podcast um uh sits in nassau county you know probably um you know 15 20 minutes from queens on a good day (laughs) with no traffic (laughs) and um you know so we're in long island but you know i feel like for some time we've been trying to compete um you know, at the city level and the regional and national level, uh, we're an independent school. So kind of like Notre Dame football, we don't have a league that we compete in. We play a variety of non-league games and tournaments and showcases, but then we go into the federation tournament at the end of the year as a representative of NICES, which is the New York State Association of Independent Schools. And so we kind of are this um, a unique um, one of its own. Um, we, you know, obviously have had a long-standing tradition of, of excellence in basketball back to the um, 60s and 70s when the mm-hmm. school began. Uh, and so just really proud to help continue that tradition. Um, you know, we welcome guys uh, internationally, locally in Long Island, the city, just a real diverse group of players that over the years have come to compete at Lujai and, um, you know, it's great. It, uh, basketball is, is a uniter. I think, you know, in today's day and age, we need unity mm-hmm. and, um, hopefully, you know, um, the NBA can help, you know, restore some of that and mm-hmm. basketball when it does return. But Luhai, you know, just have a really diverse set of, of kids who've come here over the years to compete. And, um, yeah, as we said, we kind of have our own unique space. So after three years as an assistant, you take over as the head coach of Luhai in 2009. I believe you guys were coming off the championship in the Class A. Correct. Yeah, so you're coming off the championship there. You know, a successful program. When when you were taking over, did you try to introduce your own culture or or how did you kind of balance, you know, bringing in your ideas on how things should run as now that you're an assistant, or sorry, as, as now you're the head coach without trying to, you know, go too far away from what clearly has been working? Yeah, yeah. I think I was 24 years old, about to turn 25. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, really an interesting time. Um, I think um, if I looked back and saw, you know, myself as a coach right then, I'd probably have so much advice to give myself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just no way at that age you're going to be as seasoned as you, you know, are later. Uh, I think, you know, coming off that success, we had just won uh, 
you know, Federation title, had some really good players on that team. Tobias Harris mm-hmm. was a member of that Federation team. Um, Shamar Stefan, who's uh, still competing in the NFL with the Vikings on their defensive line. Um, you know, just trying to, I guess, all of us, right, we have this desire to, like, show that we are capable. So you want to be prepared. You want to get after it. You want to push. You want to drive. And I think one thing that I've learned over the years that um you know comes with confidence and you know experience is just that um you know there's kind of of, a team is like navigating like the pedal of a car the gas Mm -hmm. pedal of a car and um you know just in driving through uh moving traffic you can't just floor it all the time right you really kind of have to sense when it's time to push when it's time to ease and just with more experience you kind of just get a better feel for that um you know, I think with so much energy and like desire as a young coach, sometimes it's like, you know, you just want to like push and, and, you know, help these guys win. But sometimes that's actually not what you need to get the most out of people. And you just got to have a sense of that. I think as you grow and now I have three kids, mm-hmm. you know, you just, you just sense it better. For sure. So that kind of, so this brings me to kind of my, my next question, you know, you're talking about growth and everything over the years, you're definitely a different coach this past year than you were when you first took over. One of the interesting things about Lujai being the independent school is that when your season, your regular season ends, it's like the beginning of March, you don't have another scheduled game until the Federation, which is usually several weeks later, you know, maybe three weeks to a month later. Kind of how do you approach that break between when your season ends and when the Federation tournament uh, starts, when you're playing either the champion of the public school league or the upstate New York league or the Catholic school league who have played more recently than than you guys have? Yes. Yeah. Really unique situation. I liken it to a college football bowl game. Yeah. You know, you finish your you know, conference and then you have, you know, that month off and, you know, sometimes there's some misconceptions. It's like, we choose to do this. <laughs> we have no choice. You're right. um, it's, we're told when we're allowed to stop, when we have to stop playing regular season games. And then, you know, that's usually the last week of February or first day or two of March at the latest. And then we have, you know, these three, four weeks to wait. And, um, you know, there's no other, there hasn't been, uh, since I've coached, uh, another team competing in the double a, uh, in New York state for the independent schools. Mm-hmm. So there's no one that we can compete against to go up, uh, to compete in Glens Falls. And so, um, as we kind of, you know, navigate that time, we'd usually give the guys a half week to a week off, depending on the team, and, you know, just trying to sense where they are. And then we'd really just get back after it, really try to condition, um, you know, maybe even go back to like a week of preseason fundamentals, just really like, uh, you know, just really breaking things down, trying to get a few scrimmages in with other teams still alive, and then just kind of you know, going up to the federation tournament. Really tough because whoever we're playing is on this big winning streak. Yeah, they've won their their title. You know, whether it be the New York City Public School or the state public tournament or the city Catholic, you know, you're seeing someone who's won five, six, seven games in a row and extremely confident. So that was always really difficult. We always did our best. Um, you know, my first year, uh, we we lost in the Federation semifinal in the A. Then we won two straight titles in the uh in the a in mm-hmm. 2011 and 12 and we made the decision you know what i think we we're going to keep growing this program and go to the double a and so you know here i am as a young coach 
two state championships in three years, feeling like, okay, you know, the, the, just nothing can stop me, the program, made the jump to double A, had an incredible season with Kenton Facey, who played at UConn for four years. Yeah, Gatorade Player um, of the Year. Gatorade Player of the Year, beat Lincoln with Isaiah Whitehead in the Federation semifinal, played an incredible Christ the King team in the final with John Sevier and lost um, in that Fed final. So it's like, okay, 2013. Made it to the fi- final. Let's you know we'll come back and get after it. It took us until t- 2019 to win a double A championship. Yeah, uh, it was an incredibly humbling experience with a lot of ups and downs. And um, you know what I finally learned as we navigated that month off was um, spoke with one of my friends, TJ Lopez, who runs um, uh, training facility athletic movement protocol. He helped our guys focus on our breathing. Okay. Um, We'd have this incredible. We'd have this month off. We trained super hard, and every time we'd go up, our guys would say, "Coach, I'm out of breath. I, I I'm just gassed," and it, I never understood it because we conditioned so hard. Yeah. But TJ helped me understand that it was actually the adrenaline that we couldn't replicate over four weeks. Right. Right. Taking yeah. over and just like you know we couldn't control it, so we worked on breath work, and then we uh, we went up 2019, and the guys didn't complain of being tired at all. So that was a big big change. So obviously, Coach, we could spend multiple hours talking about all 11 of your awesome teams, but I just want to skip ahead to, to just for time's sake to the, to the last three seasons. So 2018, you guys are awesome. As you mentioned, you're advancing to the federations where you guys are playing Stepanak in the semifinals, and there was a bit of controversy at the end of that one. Can, can you kind of just – run through it briefly for any listeners who who may not know uh what happened at the end of that game okay yeah i haven't really brought it up or talked about it in a while but it's all all good yeah um so we went up we competed super hard we were 22 and 2 going upstate with a really good team that you know as i kind of shared we were we'd been fighting since 2013 to win a double a title and i mm-hmm. thought that this was going to be the year we just really had a special group um, played at Archbishop Stepanak team that was phenomenal. Um, if you look back on where those guys have gone, R.J. Davis, you went uh, North Carolina, yeah. Um, A.J. Griffin, um, Duke, a- Adrian Griffin, yeah, yeah, Duke, A.J. Griffin, Duke, Adrian Griffin, his older brother, Illinois. Now I'm not sure where he recommitted to, um, but yeah, as he had transferred, uh, center Joel Soriano is going to Fordham. Um, just a, just a loaded team. It's incredible. And so we were in a back and forth game. The shot making in it was incredible. There's a little summary on YouTube for anyone who wanted mm-hmm. to check it out. Just back and forth, high level. Um, we had gone down. We fought our way all the way back and actually took the lead on a three with, I think, 12 seconds left, um, you know, to go up two. Uh, the timeout was called. Uh, Stepanek came down. We we had a kid who thought he could jump a passing lane and, and kind of ended on a steal, commit a foul. Um, it was a good aggressive play. Mm-hmm. So up to they go to the line to shoot two free throws. I think they shot twenty six of twenty seven free throws for that game. Wow! So in my mind, I was already saying these two are good. Uh-huh. I got to set up a play to come back down and win it. Um, so uh, I go to my bench. I have two coaches who are marking timeouts, and I said I have one left. Correct. They were like, Coach, you got one left. We got it. And in my mind, I sensed, yep, 
I hadn't taken a timeout till the fourth quarter. I had burned a couple then. I still had one left. So um, after the first one was made, uh, waited to the second one. The second one was made and called timeout because now it was tied with 8.3 seconds left. Um, and we were going to set up our play to come down and try to win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, after I called it, um, just, you know, there was some back and forth, um, you know, just saying that I had no timeouts left. And I just couldn't believe it. I said, my, I have my two coaches tracking, and I know in my head that I have one left. I looked at my scorebook guy who said, yeah, you have one timeout left. Um, you know, I thought it was an informal thing at the time, but I, I actually found out it's formal. The, the officials are supposed to come and tell you that's your last timeout. Yeah. When you've taken your, you know, your fourth, um, and, uh, just to give you that warning that you have only one, uh, or no, when you've taken your fifth, they're supposed to say that's your final timeout. No one had ever came to me and said that. Um, and so when they went back to the book, they looked at it and they said, yeah, the official book says you've taken five timeouts and this is your sixth. We, you're getting a tech. Um, <laughs> unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. You go from uh, all season, you know, fighting for a chance to win a state championship, eight seconds left with the ball tied to now tech free throws and the ball for the other team. So they made all four free throws in that sequence, two inbounds, two more, four point game, and it's over. I went home, I watched the game on film twice because I was like, there's just no way I took six timeouts. Yeah. And I didn't. Um, went back to the arena the next morning and saw, uh, got the official book and showed that I had taken a first quarter timeout. I went back to my film and saw that was actually the other team took it, but it was marked on our side incorrectly. And mm-hmm. so just an error in the book, um, you know, cost our team the chance at trying to win a state title. Uh, devastating, really super tough. You know, again, some of these some of these guys have worked for four years trying to do this and um yeah just really really sad and low moment um really in everything you know you can take a buzzer beater you can take a lot of things but that was just really tough to swallow so obviously at this is as you mentioned just a brutal way to end the season almost like if you, you have to feel like the world is kind of against you yeah. and and like almost yeah you know maybe not cursed, but, but kind of wondering, is this ever going to happen? How did you approach the summer of 2018 and just that whole off season and preseason to try to get your guys ready to try to climb the mountain again? Yeah. You described it really well. It was kind of like, what in the world do we have to do to try to win this thing? Yeah. Um, You know, we thought we were just right there primed to do it. And, you know, um, I've spoken to hundreds of coaches about it. None of them have ever heard of a situation like that. No one's ever heard of, you know, a similar situation. Um, you know, you talk about the Chris Weber game. Well, they didn't have the timeout. You yeah. know, he called it, and that was a tech, and that's, you know, just uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, just the error. But, yeah, just to have the book not officially kind of cor- have it correct in a state semifinal was just like, this is ridiculous. Um, but you know, after we, you know, we made the appeal, we appealed the decision. Uh, we were told there was nothing that could be done. So yeah, it was just, all right. At some point you have to just say, that's the decision. This mm-hmm. really stinks. But what now, you know, my college coach used to use the acronym win what's important now. Um, 
you know, and at some point we just all had to say, okay, that's it. We're going to use this as motivation, um, work as hard as we ever have. And I tell you that that entire year of, you know, leading up to 2019 was, there was a chip on our shoulder. There was, you know, a fire that was just kind of burning to get back to that moment. Um, I could see it in my staff and my players and, um, you know, we had another great year, uh, 25 and two and, um, yeah, just everyone attacked it with, you know, it wasn't brought up all the time. We didn't talk about it all the time, but there was just an edge. So you guys finished 25 and two, you, you're, you're, but in in that you're 23 and two approaching that, that weekend at this point, you, you know, you're kind of a pro and accustomed to the Federation weekend kind of how has your, or has your prep evolved in a way throughout the, the Federation tournament or just like the way that you approach that weekend from a preparation film practice, kind of just how do you approach that weekend? Yeah, for sure. And so I was probably too long winded before and just trying to share it. But I, in coming into this year, I also wanted to kind of think about it a little differently, mm-hmm. see how we could just approach it best. And so I went over to my friend TJ um, and sat down with him to think about it from a, just the athletic standpoint. You know, I'm a basketball coach. I don't know, you know, uh, performance in the sense of athletic performance as well as others. And, um, you know, I just wanted some advice because one thing that always bothered me was how our guys said they were tired. And I just never understood that because we worked so hard to condition. Um, and he just, again, explained that, that adrenaline, that there's nothing that you can do to truly replicate. Okay. Wow. This is the actual state semifinal and final. And so we really worked on trying to control our breathing to like slow our heart rate, um, and bring it back down to like be able to play in that like key zone. And so that was the biggest change that we made. Um, you know, we stayed with our scrimmages. We did our, you know, uh, X and O prep, our film work, um, our, our fundamentals, but that change in kind of approaching the, the physical aspect was what I think got it done. So you guys win, win that championship, you finally have climbed the mountain and now you're going into the 2019, 2020 season with just an absolutely loaded roster, uh, you know, Andre Curbelo going to Illinois, one of the best point guards in the country. Zed Key, you know, he's going to Ohio State among a lot of others. Kind of just when you have a team like this, as you mentioned, independent schedule, you're playing in these national showcases. Kind of how does that work? How do you go about scheduling these games? And, and, and just how did you also just deal with kind of just the national recognition of being invited to some things that maybe you haven't been invited to in the past? Yeah. That's cool. It was, yeah, obviously climbing that mountain, um, every once in a while, I just turned on the last few minutes of that game and just, there's so much emotion that came out of our bench. You could just see like that buildup kind of just come out. Um, and it was like that for months. It was like, you know, just like this deep, like sense of gratitude and appreciation and exhale of like, wow, we finally got it done. And we were so proud of that effort. And, um, you know, we actually, uh, I think the margin of victory in the two games is the largest for any uh, Federation tournament winner. Yeah. Um, you know, we gave up um, in the final game, we gave up 31 points, which is also a record. I didn't know. He was points. I didn't up. know if that was a typo or if that was the actual score. Yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty ugly game. Um, and give credit, Christ the King had Musa Cisse, who mm-hmm. was just an elite rim protector on one end. And I think we had a really good 
long, strong defensive team on our end. So, yeah, it was not one for the the offensive uh, fan. Yeah, we got fifty one thirty one was our our final winning. Uh, in that final so yeah just so much work that went into that just we were so proud of it um and then you know with just like with anything if you've heard like repeating is is hard yeah um you know it was just a different approach 2019 we came in with this edge this burning fire and then 2020 you know we came in ready to work for sure but you could tell it was different in the gym you know, especially with kids and I'll even take it with, with myself and the staff, you know, you you come, you prepare, you're hungry, but, um, repeating is harder. Yeah. Getting it the second time is tougher. Uh, when it came into scheduling my, I give credit to some of my coaches, my assistant coaches said, go for it. Whatever we can do, take it. Like this is the team to do it with where there's no reason to, you know, turn anything down um you know we won the states let's let's just get after it so probably more than i would have before we went to the iolani classic in hawaii we went to the beach ball classic in south carolina we went to montverde's invitational tournament at their gym yeah and then we uh, accepted non-leagues with Pat- the patrick school in sierra canyon and I just remember, you know, when the Metro Classic offered us Sierra Canyon, I called uh, Jay David, one of my assistants, and I said, what do you think? Like, I mean, we've already got such a tough schedule. And, you know, the PR on Sierra Canyon was like, this is the best team ever, right? Yeah. All these guys. And he was like, man, just take it. So I'm so glad that, um, you know, we did. And, and it was just an incredible year. So much fun. Yeah, so I want to ask you about those two games. I believe, if I'm, if my memory serves correct, the game against Sierra Canyon was on ESPN, and I and, and was the game against Montverde also on ESPN. Um, Sierra Canyon was was uh, Montverde was just um, on um, maybe the NFHS network. Okay. So yeah. So just what was that like? You know, obviously Sierra Canyon for anyone who doesn't know is just an absolutely loaded uh, school in Southern California in the Los Angeles area. This year, famously, they had both Dwayne Wade's son and LeBron James' son, Ronnie James. Just what was that like getting ready to play them on ESPN? And then also Montverde is perhaps the best prep high school basketball team in the country the last four or five years. Just just what were those two games like? Yeah, just once in a lifetime, maybe um, experiences that, you know, when, whenever the time for me to be done coaching is, I, I, you know, can't look back and say I didn't almost do it all. Um, you know, going down to Montverde, playing in their tournament, we actually did it the year before mm-hmm. and blew a 15 point lead to be able to play Montverde, mm-hmm. um, which we were really upset about. So that was one thing in coming down similar to the fire from the previous year. We said, no, we're going to, we're going to get to the final versus Montverde. Yeah. So we do their tournament and we actually find some adversity because Andre Curbelo gets the flu. Yeah. Um, he's sick and he, tries to warm up against uh, Lacrosse Central from Wisconsin in the semifinal, who's got a really good kid going to Wisconsin, and he just couldn't go. And so all the rest of our guys picked up the slack, and we like fought and, and just gutted out a really tough win to get to play Montverde, um, who was the best high school basketball team I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, not Cunningham, even close. Yeah. It was just unbelievable. And for us, it was playing with – you know, house money, um, right. you know, you want to go in and compete as best you can. The one unfortunate thing that I feel about last year was that, um, Andre was sick that day. He was really limited. Um, Andre's Pinzone, uh, who 
turned out to be our third leading scorer when he really got into a groove later in the year. He was out that game. He had a contusion from the day before. And then Jalen Celestine, who is a 6'6 shooting guard going to Cal, didn't play all year for us because of a stress fracture. So mm-hmm. I just really wish we could have, with our th- three guys in the backcourt, competed yeah. against Montverde just to see, you know, what it, you know, what it could have been like not saying we were going to beat them, but just right. to give it more of a run because I think they beat us by 36. Um, here we are, number eight team in the country, and and that's just a it just shows how good right. that team was. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, group of guys and that atmosphere at Montverde coach Boyle has just created almost like Disneyland down there. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Um, so that was great. And, uh, you know, got to see where the bar is, right? Like mm-hmm. there's not going to be a better level than that. No. And then the Sierra Canyon game, I would say is the most interest of any game, probably times five that I've ever coached here. Um, the amount of inquiries, the amount of people asking for tickets, the amount of, you know, questions, how interested our guys were going into that game. It was mm-hmm. like, I don't know, the power of social media, right? Right. Um, you know, I guess just you mentioned Bronny James and, and um, Zaire Wade. I mean, those guys were probably seventh, eighth men. Oh, on yeah. That team. Yeah, because they had um, uh, BJ Boston and a bunch of other guys who were going to K- Kentucky and just ins- insane players. Yes. Yeah, it was an absolutely loaded roster. And so we were super prepared. Our staff really honed in and got a, um, you know, a strong scouting report ready. Uh, Josh Corbin, you know, assistant who's been with me since day one, he really got after it, got a great scout ready uh, for Sierra Canyon. And um, we, we just were prepared. And I really focused on trying to instill confidence that week because I knew it was going to be kind of like this movie-like atmosphere with yeah. you know everyone was packed gym everyone had their phones out warm-ups taking pictures of Bronny and mm-hmm. you know those guys and I said you know you, you got to realize you're playing against other human beings right um, it's not Space Jam and so <laughs> um, it was just I think we went down 24-11 you know a little bit of that shell shock kind of start but then I think Andre had a play where it was all over the internet where he kind of got trapped threw it through a McDonald's all Americans legs ran around, got the ball, uh, breaking the press and dropped a floater in. And kind of when that happened, I think it kind of shifted right. the mindset of our team and the whole gym started, I can't think kind of siding with us. And we, we wound up just, um, playing confidently Andre and Zed specifically just all year. Those, those two guys really led us through the wars and just did a phenomenal job. And that win, probably the biggest one, you know, in Luhai history. So, so obviously your incredible season this year, you get up to eighth, as high as eighth in the national ESPN rankings. Then kind of the world had other plans. The coronavirus pandemic hits the New York city area in the beginning of March. And, and all of a sudden your, your quest to go for that back to back double a state federation championship gets canceled because of the, because of the virus. Just what was it like when you found out uh, that the season was over? And kind of can you share uh, that reaction and just the reaction of the team when they found out? Yeah, what a weird time. You know, um, remember we played after those big wins we all kind of talked about. Uh, we actually had to finish our season on a buzzer beater uh, victory, beating Albany Academy, a really good team from upstate. Yep. Um 
you know, they couldn't miss that entire night and we were going shot for shot and Andre hit a buzzer beater, uh, to win that game. And I remember it was February 22nd. And at the time there wasn't anything in my mind that would, would indicate that that would be our last game. Um, you know, you'd heard the news reports and, you know, um, you know, uh, about the virus in China and trying to figure out, um, you know, what would happen from there, but it just, I don't know, uh, just never became a reality until, you know, that beginning, you know, week or two of March where you're saying, hmm, this is something's happening here. Um, started, uh, really becoming more of a reality and, you know, just really quickly, all of a sudden, you know how it was with Rudy Gobert in the NBA. Yeah. As soon as that, uh, kind of went down, we knew that it was going to be, um, it was going to be over and our season wasn't going to be finished. And yeah, just at first really, really stung because, you know, as much as we had enjoyed the fruits of 2019 after 2018's challenging end, um, you know, we still have felt like, you know, we, there was like a mini dynasty over the past three years yeah, and, um, we at least wanted to get like two out of the potential three years we kind of felt we were right there for. And, um, you know, it just wasn't meant to be for us or anyone. And so there was just an initial sting, an initial pain, because we thought we were, you know, really going to be ready for, you know, taking home another title. Um, you know, we just when you have a point guard and a big guy, yeah. it's tough to beat. And, um, you know, the Andre and Zed really had an cr- incredible year. But um, I think as time has kind of gone on and the reality and the, uh, just seeing, you know, the sobering effects of seeing what, you know, COVID-19 has done to the world. I think our whole program has really just taken a step back and say, you know what, we're, we're thankful we had as much basketball last year as we did. 100%. Um, we got to go to Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got to compete against, you know, Sierra Canyon at Mont Bird, um, the beach ball classic. We, Patrick school, um, we had an incredible season and um you know you, you look at this year and as we're unsure about what you know the season will bring this year um i think we've just all gotten to a point where we say you know what would have been great but thank god everyone in the program is healthy and mm-hmm. um you know that we had all the memories that we did so kind of just backing out now kind of just a more macro level of just coaching at Luhai. obviously you guys have tremendous players and, and the reputation of Luhai speaks for itself but as as a coach do you do any recruiting at all of the top whether it's eighth graders or freshmen or sophomores and, and try to recruit them to come to Luhai? sure yeah so many people just say no there's no way and I promise you if you saw like the inquiries and inbox we have like in our social media or just to my email, not just locally, but like around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people who reach out about Luha basketball. Um, you know, back in the seventies and eighties, we had guys, you know, come from Italy, uh, to play for us. And, um, I think that tradition is just, you know, the word has you know spread out over the years and, um, you know, we just get a ton of people interested in trying to come, you know, to Luhai. And so uh, we really don't have an aggressive, like, outward-reaching, you know, presence. Like, you're not going to see me at, you know, uh, the the top middle school, you know, tournaments as much all the time because we really get a lot of people interested in coming to us and we, we take those inquiries. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I think for us, one thing too is that just culture is a huge part of blue eye basketball. Um, it's not just talent. I know you've seen it. I know everyone who's listened to the podcast has probably seen teams that have tons of talent, but something's just off. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might not have an identity. And just for us at Lujai, like culture is everything. And, you know, you have to be selfless to play here. Um, you have to be willing to give up some of your personal um opportunity for the betterment of the team now we've had players of the year and gatorade players of the year and mr basketballs and and all of that um but you know the, the the bottom line is that you know our top leading scorer is almost always in the teens or as you yeah. see you know some schools that you know you'll be able to get 25 30 a night um, but there's just so much talent and just you're gonna have to sacrifice to be here that you know we really want kids and families that want to be part of that type of environment um you know if i get a sense that someone just wants it to be all about themselves i'll just be very honest and say you know i think it's probably just not going to work um you know if you sacrifice and you know play for your teammates and you know, then you become Zed Key. Mm-hmm. Awesome. You know, yeah. Zed is one of the more selfless kids I've ever coached. But it's like we don't really want people that are just looking to be about themselves. So I think the people that reach out and see that about our program, it's it's been a good fit that way. Now, also, too, at the same time, Luhai is a tremendous tri-state power. But there's also a lot of external forces. We've seen this this last decade and really 15 years of so many of the top New York City area players are leaving New York City for high school. They're going to a New England prep school. They're going to a New Jersey power or even going all the way down to Florida for a school like Montverde. How do yes. you get guys to stay at Lujai for high school? You know, is there a re-recruiting process of trying to get them to stay? Or, or, or kind of what do you think uh, keeps them at Lujai? It's a great question. Uh, part of it is just the reality that, uh, you know, I think with some of our guys, whether they be maybe like Zed was from Suffolk, um, you know, we have some international guys. I think, you know, New York as a whole needs to kind of just take a step back and look at, you know, re-examine itself and the culture. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we want to blame kids and we want to, you know, blame the prep schools and all that. But I don't know. I'm not a big believer in BCD, blame, complain, defend. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more about don't criticize success, analyze it. Okay, so it's a free country. Why are kids choosing to do these things? Yeah. Instead of just being bitter about it, what what opportunity is there that they're not seeing here, and what can we do to kind of help, you know, create that? And so, um, I think there's just there, there's a lot of blaming, you know, in the culture, and I think we just have to take a look at ourselves and just be better. Um, if we're offering, you know, everything that families need, I think they'll choose that. Um, but uh, you know, in some of those schools defense, some of their facilities are just absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, and some of the opportunity to just, you know, focus in on your game is really what some people are, are offering in just the environment. So, you know, that's um, maybe what some of the families are looking for. And all at Luhai, what we just try to do is provide that environment that um, people understand that your your son is more than just an asset he's more than a a stat sheet at the end of the day Mm -hmm. um he's a young man um you know 
whether he's making the shots or not, we're going to try to do our best to take care of him, help him, you know, grow both on and off the court academically, you know, in his character. Um, and so I think just kind of treating, you know, guys the right way, um, is just all we can do. I don't think I really have a specific strategy as far Mm -hmm. as like, this is how I want to keep people here, but just kind of be authentic, just be ourselves and, you know, offer what, um, people hopefully find attractive. So with the, with the quality of player that is coming to Luhai, a lot of them just from the spring and summer AU circuits already have a lot of attention from college coaches, whether it's just interest or even, you know, potentially scholarship offers and maybe even dozens of, of scholarship offers kind of, what is your role in trying to help assist uh, the players in your program get recruited and get scholarships and, and kind of just helping them navigate the whole college process? Yeah, no, it's a great question. One, I'm still trying to like find the exact right pulse on because, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, so much of it goes through um, AU and, you know, they're their travel programs. Um, I just think the efficiency of recruiting for college coaches and showing, you know, going up to those live weekend tournaments is just so high that um, it's hard to blame them for, you know, trying to work through that, that system. Um, You know, definitely appreciate the coaches that um, even if they made first contact through the AU season, reach out to me, want to learn more about, you know, the guys. Um, I'm honestly shocked that, more coaches don't mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you know you hear programs make an offer and it's like uh, having it for two months and they they just don't call um and i think that kind of speaks a little bit to the high rate of transfer we're seeing yeah i think oh i like how that guy played and you know uh in, in indianapolis last week i'm gonna offer him call him three it's it's got to be a deeper process than that in a relationship and i think um you know, I'm certainly not looking to steer people or direct people to specific spots, but I think it helps to have the high school coach involved in the process if you want to really have a firm, you know, relationship to build with with the player you're recruiting. Um, so, you know, just appreciated this year, Coach Underwood, Coach Holtman, um, you know, specifically just, you know, uh, Coach Fox even at, uh, mm. at Cal, you know, just trying to connect, build a relationship. Uh, understand what makes you know the guy tick what he's you know what he's good at what his weaknesses are and um you know i think that'll help once players arrive on campus to kind of have that dialogue and and build that trust so um yeah my my role that i've really honestly tried to do is once guys start narrowing down Mm -hmm. really sit down talk with them help them understand the relationship you know how that fit might really you know be good for them um make sure they're they're comfortable and they're not just kind of like doing something they feel pressured into. Um, you know, I think that's really big. Give, try to make sure they have the voice, like share what you're feeling, what's really going on. And, um, you know, when I spoke with Andre and Zed, I really saw that sense of like, this is where I want to be. Right. Um, and I thought they were really thoughtful about it. And as soon as they said that, I said, awesome. Can't wait to, uh, you know, watch you guys, you know, at the next level. So, Coach, I have a few more questions where we get to some fun ones at the end. One thing, as, as we've kind of talked about throughout this podcast, is independent schedule. So you so you have some games against national powers like Montverde and the Patrick School that I'm sure that there are other schools in the New York area who you play who, you know, you can't play every game against a top 25 national high school program. Kind of how do you prevent 
the team or, or try to prevent the team from playing up or down to the level of competition? Yeah. Um, just try to approach every game, you know, with the same, um, kind of tone, I guess, as you said, as I said before, it's kind of like sensing, like navigating through moving traffic, right? Like sometimes you want to push a little more and sometimes you want to ease up. I think I just try to really be consistent. Um, I think, you know, just in my, in my approach, in my tone, uh, try to be as consistent as possible. And I think that kind of sets the tone for the program. Um, and so, you know, guys know they have to play hard every day and, you know, if they're not playing hard, they won't, you know, get the opportunity to be on the court. And so, um, you know, having that expectation and that, that, that culture really, I think carries over and, you know, making it fun. Like, you know, we're not just doing this to, to, to earn scholarships or to be ranked. Like yeah. those are byproducts of what happens. Like enjoy the game, have fun with it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're only young one time. Right. Um, so just trying to keep that as, as well. Um, and I could probably always, you know, do even better with that. Um, but just trying to keep it fun and just trying to keep, have a similar approach throughout all the years, uh, throughout all the games is the best. One thing we've noticed coach is that, or, or one thing I've noticed is that in the last, you know, 10, 15 years or so is that with the AAU basketball becoming so popular and so prevalent guys are playing, especially the top level guys are playing so many games throughout the spring and the summer coming from, especially coming off a uh, let's say 30 game high school season, they may not be doing as many practices, but they're playing so many more games. So it's kind of something I've talked to my dad about. And just with, you know, some other coaches, just do you think guys are just playing too many games in, in the spring and and summertime? I think, I think there's too many games as a whole, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so like what high school's role in that, I guess we could evaluate, you know, we're allowed 23 games plus, you know, um, a two, like a little postseason tournament we run at Lujai plus federations. So that's 27 max. So I don't know. I don't think that should be really reduced. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think as a whole, it's just a lot of playing. You know, we've had some European guys throughout our history and, you know, talking to them about how they were raised and what their practice to play ratio is very different than what we have here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, those, those development systems make sure those guys are practicing um, much more than they're playing. And I think we've kind of lost that, um, you know, just a little bit with maybe market demand and just kind of meeting that. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a lot of wear and tear on bodies. I think yeah. you'll probably find people in the medical field that, that agree. And um, yeah, how do we find that balance? Um, we'll see maybe how guys come out of this year without playing as many games. Yeah. You know, maybe the class of 21 will kind of follow them going forward and see how they hold up next year yeah maybe the the six game aau weekends are maybe not the best things for 16 and 17 year old kids not for their health maybe yeah. for the opportunity to see them play so yep. it's like this, this back and forth right i don't know i don't i don't have all the answers but i do tend to yeah i agree that's that's probably tough on their bodies for sure so coach obviously the coronavirus pandemic is is ongoing. We don't really know what may happen this fall. We're hoping that there will be a season, but you know, we just don't know. How are you preparing and getting ready this summer for just the unknown of what this season may be? Whew. Yeah, I, I would say 
just in scheduling, I've scaled back on travel. Um, you know, just so per possibly we're allowed to play, but maybe, you know, not travel as much. So I've kind of, uh, hedged my bets a little bit there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with some, some events and traveling, but not as much, um, just, you know, getting on zoom calls and just calling our guys, making sure they're working out, um, you know, getting getting the ball in their hands, getting to a hoop, um, even outside. I know a lot of them are, are doing this outside, kind of going old school, mm-hmm. um, and staying active. Um, you know, having follow-up calls with our guys about the season, how it went, what they think they could do better. You know, roll for next year. Um, you know, just trying to keep keep an eye out for what you know the the state uh board of ed is is looking at as far as return to schools um you know right now i just kind of share with them the quote of there will come a time when winter will ask what you've done all summer Mm -hmm. and it was one that my college coach shared with us and you know you can't control what's going to be allowed to happen in the in the winter um especially our players, right? Yeah. All they can do is control what they have in front of them. And this time will pass and they'll either have used it or not. So really focus on your game, getting better, trying to, you know, uh, focus on specific feedback that they need to use to improve. And, um, we'll see where the chips fall. You know, obviously it's weird. Like I really want to play, but I, you know, certainly don't want to put any of our guys or our staff in a situation that's not, you know, safe. So right. just kind of waiting for hopefully people who uh, understand better than me to make the right calls. For sure. Well, coach, I appreciate all the time. I have five rapid fire questions before we wrap up the podcast. Nice. Number one, what is your favorite drill as a coach? Oh, man. Um, re- early in my career, a lot of rebounding drills, but after seeing some wear and tear, I've kind of moved maybe to. Um, uh, fast break drill. We call it Navy fast break five on five, uh, five guys on the foul line, five on the baseline, throw the ball to one of the guys on the baseline. The opposite guy has to touch and we're, mm-hmm. you know, getting five possessions of fast break. Okay. I like that one. Do you have any pregame superstitions? Um, I try to, um, not go out, uh, with the team for a little bit, just stay in the room, kind of center myself, say a quick prayer and, you know, get ready and, and not worry so much about who's missing layups. <laughs> I stress myself out when thinking about that. <laughs> what was one unexpected challenge of being a head coach when you first took over? Um, probably just navigating a losing streak my first year. Okay. Um, you know, just trying to prove myself, trying to show that I can kind of handle this. People, I think, looking, and, you know, are, how's the young guy going to do? So that was a tough time, and you know, I learned from it. And, um, yeah, that was that was that was tough. This this one may be a tough one. Who is the best player you've ever coached against? Against, Whew. at the time, R.J. Barrett. Okay. Uh, from Montverde. Yeah. Yep. RJ Barrett from Montverde. He was, he was unbelievable. And the last one, if you could change one rule about high school basketball, what would you change? Universal shot clock across all 50 States. Yeah. Uh, thank God we have it here in New York. Yeah. But when totally you go great. to other tournaments, it's just kind of weird to prepare for and against. Um, definitely would like to see that across the country. 100%. Well, coach, 
I appreciate all the time. As always, on the Double Double, we give the last words to our guests. Do you have anything you want to say to the great people of Brookville, New York? Uh, it's just uh, this is great. I appreciate you having me on. You know, on the podcast, great to talk some hoops. It's been a lot of negativity, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the world today, and there's some issues that we obviously have to look at, and address, and discuss, and talk about. A hundred percent. You know, I just hope that um, through the game of basketball and through all other avenues, we can just find a way to empathize with each other and unite and just move forward positively. Because um, you know, I think as a country and as a society, we need to be able to do that. 100%. Old Coach, I appreciate all the time. Best of luck going forward. Thank you, David. Appreciate you. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back later this week. Until then, take care and make it a great day.